Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Decision Hour. I'm Adam, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, Patty. Patty. Adam, how's it going? It's going. It's going. We got another great episode lined up for our listeners today. I'm pretty excited, and I hope you are, too. Um, today, absolutely, am. It, it, it's it's amazing. This this guy's amazing. He's all over the place. He's doing some great things in the community. Um, he is the executive director for Twenty Third Veteran, uh, and you can check out their organization. If you're listening to the show right now, go ahead and open up another browser. Go to Twenty Third Veteran dot org. That's Twenty Third Veteran dot o r g. Mister Mike Waldron. Mike, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to jump right into this, Mike, if you don't mind. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. So I grew up in Minnesota, and I joined the Marine Corps just a week out of high school. So I ended up in the Marine Corps Infantry, apparently because I was colorblind. It wasn't my choice, but it's where I was put. <laughs> After having experienced it, I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm, I'm proud to be a Marine Infantryman. And then that was the year 2000 when I joined. 2003, I was part of the initial invasion to Iraq. And there were some changes that happened in my brain when I was in Iraq, and I wasn't aware of it at the time. Uh, But it was about five, six years after combat that I fell into some pretty severe symptoms of PTSD and combat stress. And it took, I can get more into it later, but it took me about five years to pull out of it. And it wasn't until I pulled out of it. So this is nine, 10 years after combat. It was the first time I realized that like my experience in combat had changed me. And these things that I was going through where I thought I was dying for such a long time was, was all related back to 2003 when I was in. So that was a, a big life-changing moment for me. And that's, I, I decided to quit my job and cash in the retirement to start the 23rd Veteran, this organization that can do what I accidentally did to myself to pull out of it into more hope and happiness and do it much more effectively for other veterans around the country. Wow. So I, I got to ask, who are you with in, in 03 uh, for the initial push? Because I was there and I'm pretty sure we might have crossed sand a little bit. Oh boy. I was uh, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, 1st Marine Division. Very nice. <clears throat> Very nice. How about yourself? I was I was Army, and I was I went over with the Guard unit. We were a transportation unit, and then immediately three days in country, we got attached to uh, the Special Forces group, and uh, we were training the Freedom Fighters at the time, and we followed 3rd sure. ID and the Marines uh, up into Baghdad. Um about a week or so after, right after that, that initial push. So that's, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, yeah, we were, we, we were each other on, on real, on real. Yeah. So what, Mike, what do you, with, with 23rd veteran, what can people expect or what exactly does the organization do? The, the best way to explain that is to start with, a story about cavemen. If you've got about yeah, five minutes, let's I'll do it. Go ahead and give, you, right. give you the story. <laughs> so you can find the story on the website too. Uh, we, we partner with some folks in the Hollywood area and we had some cartoonists draw a cartoon. It's actually some of the, the folks that work with Warner brothers and they, the background music and everything. So it's like a Bugs Bunny style cartoon around the story. You're welcome to go check it out or share it with your friends. Uh, but if you can for me, picture, over 100,000 years ago, there's three cavemen walking through the woods. We've got caveman number one, caveman number two, and caveman number three. Okay. And 
they come across a brick path. So on the other side of that brick path is a green bush with red flowers on it. And suddenly that bush shakes and a saber-toothed tiger jumps out and it eats caveman number one. So caveman number two and three get a shot of adrenaline and they take off out of there. And they survived. But there was a difference between caveman number two and caveman number three when they survived. Caveman number three had this chemical released in his brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So that's abbreviated BDNF. And BDNF is our brain growth hormone. So it acts like a steroid for our memory. So caveman number three had this memory steroid available. He was able to lock in everything about that situation to subconscious memory. Meanwhile, caveman number two did not have BDNF. So he remembers that situation like he remembers breakfast in the morning. So if you picture five years down the road, caveman number two and three are walking through the woods again, and they come across another brick path. And neither one of them relates this brick path to life and death five years ago in their human thinking brain. But the subconscious memory of caveman number three recognizes it. So he's starting to get anxious and he doesn't know why. And then a mile later, they come across a green bush with red flowers on it. And that's enough for caveman number three's brain to think he's entering another life and death situation. So adrenaline's released and his heart starts racing and blood's taken from his brain and pushed to his extremities to help with that fight or flight. So he gets tunnel vision and he has a difficult time thinking. His body's shaking from sugars released and he's breathing heavy. He doesn't know what's happening, but all of a sudden he has these superhuman powers. A saber-toothed tiger jumps out of that bush with those superhuman powers. Caveman number three is able to take off out of there. Or meanwhile, caveman number two is standing there thinking, what the heck's going on? He gets eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. So caveman number three was able to survive that second tiger attack because his body knew to prepare for that life and death situation before his thinking mind even knew he was entering it. And that is an awesome thing to have in combat. It's a, it's a good survival mechanism for our bodies to prepare for death before our brains know that we're entering another traumatic situation. But the problem can come in if you picture 20 years down the road. Caveman number three moves to a different country where there never was a saber-toothed tiger, and he knows it. And okay, he's walking to the park with his caveman wife kids, and he's pushing his caveman stroller. And they come across a brick path. So he's not relating this brick path to life and death 20 years now. And his thinking brain, his subconscious memory recognizes it. So he's starting to get anxious. Why? And then a mile later, they come across a green bush. And just that bush being green might be enough for his brain to think he's entering another life and death situation. And his heart starts racing and blood's taken from his brain and pushes extremities to help with that fight or flight. So he gets tunnel vision. He has a difficult time thinking. His body's shaking from the sugars released. He's breathing heavy. He's so tense from seeing that brick path a mile ago that his chest can start to cramp or his neck muscles tighten and it can feel like he's choking. His body's going through all these physical effects, but all he's doing is pushing a stroller through the park with his wife and kids. So he begins to panic. He thinks he's dying of a heart attack, a stroke, or choking. And that's what's called a panic attack. And it's a super scary feeling to believe you're dying when all you're doing is walking through the park with your family. 
sometimes those memories are so strong that caveman number three can even see the saber-toothed tiger again, though it no longer exists or it never was in that country. So that's what we call the caveman story. And that's the one that you can find on the website under a, a page called The Need. The, the, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Patty, do you, do you have anything? I'm trying to collect my just, thoughts here because I'm, I'm picturing this as he's, as I'm, I'm a very exactly. visionary guy. So I'm like, I, as he's explaining to it, there's times where I close my eyes and I'm, I'm picturing everything that he's saying. And then there's times where I have to open my eyes because I don't want to see what he's saying either. And it, it, it's very descriptive, very real. And it's something I can definitely relate with on a personal level. Sure. Yeah, most most of us can that have been in the military, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be combat to relate to the story. There's I mean, civilian trauma is very similar on a scientific level. And uh, what we can do with that story is identify our triggers. So if we picture a common scenario in combat today, it's like a group of vehicles driving down a road, mm-hmm. and there's an explosion, like an IED goes off. So the saber toothed tiger is clearly the the shrapnel that does the injuring. Right. But then there is those green bush items and that's what's directly related so that can be like the noise of the explosion that can be people screaming it could be gunfire and then there's the brick path items and those are sometimes the most scary because we don't realize that our brains have locked these things in as possible life and death situations because they're just everyday things. It can be a dusty road or a dirt road. It can be a crowded vehicle or a hot, sunny day. And what's super common with us is people we don't know. Because when we're in the military, we train ourselves not to trust anybody, especially that the enemy isn't wearing a uniform. So it doesn't matter if there's a man, woman, or child. We're looking for a weapon. We're looking for the, for the trigger. And that doesn't change in our brain just because we come back to the United States. We still don't trust anybody. We try to go to a restaurant or a sporting venue and have a good time like we used to, but we want our back to the wall. We want to assess everybody. We're looking for the weapon. We want to see everybody coming through the entrance. We want to know where the noises are coming from, and we don't have anything to help us anymore. We're all alone. So it's, it's really difficult to enjoy life in the civilian world. We get a lot of this social anxiety, and we tend to isolate ourselves. And that's isolation is a very, very, you know, I, and I, I agree with that. So let me ask you this, Mike, with all your experience and, and everything that you're doing, when, when did, I'm trying to figure out how to really kind of ask this question. How did, how did you, you start 20, 23rd veteran and, 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 I mean, what's, what are you guys doing now? I mean, I, I, you know, we, we, we've talked offline and have talked about different events and, and what you guys kind of do and and transition with, 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 you know, guys, but can you kind of walk us through that process? Yeah. So we started 23rd veteran uh, three and a half years ago. And the whole idea, like I mentioned earlier was, 
to take what I stumbled upon myself and do it much more effectively for other veterans to give a, a path to, to hope and happiness. Um, what I stumbled upon was fitness and camaraderie building. I got my butt off the couch one day when I was isolated after you know, years of panic attacks and I went skiing downhill and I had a blast doing it to the point that I got a gym membership and so I could get stronger legs and go off bigger jumps and talking to people in the chairlifts. And I found I was finding hope and happiness through both physical activity and socializing. And I yo-yoed back and forth a few times before realizing those were the things that was causing me to find the hope and happiness. Uh, so in starting 23rd Veteran, uh, we utilized the model of what I accidentally did to myself. I, and I studied on uh, our brain changes, like the chemicals that are released in our brain, not only that BDNF, but there's also ones called serotonin, oxytocin that are vital in happiness, dopamine, our endorphins from exercise. And we brought together a positive psychologist, a couple personal trainers, and we put together a 14-week program to put veterans through. So this 14-week program starts with a trip to the mountains. We get a dozen or so veterans together in, in a particular city, and we go backpacking and rock climbing for a week in the mountains, do some scary things, push ourselves outside our comfort zone. And what that does is create that camaraderie like we had in the military. So when we come back, now we have a much stronger team. We're experiencing that that team that we used to experience. So not only are we comfortable going out to society together, but we want to, because that's the thing that most of us miss the most when we leave the military is that camaraderie. Right. So now we got this trusting team. Yeah. And we start going to the gym three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we meet at the gym. We do a workout that workout. The whole purpose of it is to release our BDNF. When we get our heart rate above an aerobic state for 20 minutes, our brain derived neurotrophic factor, that memory steroid is available for the next few hours and even up to a couple days. So we can remember things at a much stronger, deeper level after a workout. So we work out for an hour and then for the next half hour, we go through some positive psychology and what we call the, the reconditioning program, the 2-3-V recon program. And we're working with those happiness chemicals that we're generally lacking because we're isolated. And if you'd like, I can talk a little more about the happiness chemicals. Please, yeah. It's good. yeah, please, please do. No, 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 please there. do, please do. Sure. So the four we're working with are endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. Okay. Endorphins, most commonly known. That's We access those when we exert physical activity or energy. And the whole purpose of that is so that we can have this painkiller. Um, so, so through survival, if you picture you know two tribes 10,000 years ago, tribe A and B, uh, one of them had... Endorphins. So one of them, when they exert physical activity, they have this painkiller available. So when they're either chasing an animal down, trying to kill it, maybe chasing it 10, 20 miles, or even if they get into a fight, a war with another tribe, during those times, they're not feeling pain. Now you picture tribe B that doesn't have endorphins. So they're trying to chase their animals down for miles and miles and kill them and then bring them all the way back to the tribe. Or, you know, when they get in a war, they don't have a painkiller available. So which tribe is going to be more likely to survive a with endorphins or painkillers during war or b without endorphins mm -hmm. so that, that was a, the, the scientific purpose in true survival uh, the next one is dopamine and that is called our habit chemical so 
when we accomplish a goal or a task, we get a shot of dopamine. And the easiest way for me to explain that one or, or for you to picture it might be if you if you like having a beer on a Friday night, you get home from work, you kick back, you're relaxing, and you just go to crack your can of beer and it goes, <laughs> and you're already starting to feel good. Like, you know, it's about to hit your lips. So that good feeling clearly is not the alcohol. It has not touched your lips yet. That's your dopamine. And it's not just alcohol that gives us dopamine. And there's survival reasons for that too. Those two are easy to access. Those we can make a, a choice to go to the gym or go for a run to get our endorphins. We can make a choice to accomplish a goal. The other two that I'm going to talk about are not easy to access. Those are more lifestyle changes. And that's our serotonin and our oxytocin. So serotonin is called our leadership chemical. Mm. Like we have that available when we're serving somebody or we feel like we have a purpose or people depend on us. And you can imagine how readily available that is when you're in the military. I mean, we, we serve there in a, in a way that we'll never find you know, such a purpose to serve again. And the other one is oxytocin, our love chemical. So we not only get that for feeling love in like a relationship, but also for feeling trusted and accepted on a team to the point that we can be vulnerable with that team. That's another one that we have with that camaraderie in the military that we lose immediately when we come out when it's so hard to trust people because they didn't serve with us. So when we lose our serotonin and our oxytocin, the side effects from that are sleeplessness, shyness, depression, anxiety. And those are the same two chemicals that pharmaceutical companies try to mimic with anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication. They know that we're not getting them when we're isolated. So what 23rd Veteran is doing, I should say one more important part about that is when we're not getting those two chemicals, serotonin and oxytocin, because we're isolated, we like to turn to the ones that are easy to get. Right. So some of us turn to working out, which is a much healthier version. Some of us turn to that dopamine where we crack another beer, pour another cup of coffee, light another cigarette, play another video game, check Facebook, put another selfie on there so we can get some likes on it. <laughs> so what 23rd Veteran is doing is accessing the chemicals that we're supposed to access the way that people are supposed to access them. So through this 14-week program, when I talk about the reconditioning program, the, the 30 minutes after each workout, we are doing things that access our serotonin, that access our oxytocin, and we're building positive, healthy habits around those using our dopamine and dropping our negative habits around the dopamine. And a really important portion of the, the program is four weeks into it, we bring civilians on board. And they follow the same rules, they go through the workouts, they go through the positive psychology, and that way in a subconscious level, we can learn to trust civilians again and they can learn how to communicate with us better and learn our culture. And once we have this trusting team developed, we start to experience society. We experience our, our triggers out in society. So we'll go to a restaurant where we have a bunch of noises of people around us that would normally be a trigger, but possible enemy. But we're doing this in a trusting and fun environment. So our brain can start to lock in these memories of, okay, I'm sitting in a restaurant having a great time with people I trust. 
this is a safe place rather than this is a place full anime. We upgrade, we go bowling, so there's louder noises, we go to trampoline parks, the ground shake, and kids scream, and eventually we're shooting fireworks or firearms together. Wow. So let me, Mike, I, I do have a question. You, you talk about this 14-week program, taking a walk in the woods and, and whatnot. Do these do these veterans come to you where 23rd Veteran is, or is this something that you guys do throughout the year in different locations uh, in the country? We do it in different locations. We bring the, the program to them. It's it's not an inexpensive program. It's It costs us about $2,500 on the 23rd Veteran side for each veteran that goes through it. And we have partners, Outward Bound is our partner for the week-long trip. They're paying for that portion. Uh, so it, it takes about $35,000 for us to raise in a city to start this program there. Uh, we're currently doing it in three cities in Minnesota where we started, and we're expanding to San Diego and L.A. next year by doing our fundraiser. We do we do a fundraising event in the city we're expanding to, okay. and then we use that money to put veterans in that city through the transition program. And what's the fundraiser? So after, yeah. Uh, the fundraiser is called the Nearly Naked Ruck March. There we go. <laughs> uh, it's probably twenty of their veterans' most talked about event. <laughs> so the whole the whole reason for the the nearly naked is, you know, I imagine most of the listeners here understand what a rock march is, but I'll break it down quick in case there's some folks that don't. Uh, it's a training event in the military where we put on our packs, we carry our weapons, we've got ammo, we've got clothing, gas masks, everything we would need to go into combat. We go for a really long hike, and it's it's just a training exercise. So we're doing that in the civilian side as a fundraiser. Well, we put on whatever pack we have. It could be a backpack. We wear our long underwear. That's why we're nearly naked. And we do fundraising ahead of time. So it's peer-to-peer fundraising. You get a fundraising page when you set up. And then we carry that weight in our pack up to 10 miles. So that represents the weight that we're carrying in the battle of combat stress in our hometowns. And the weight that we put in our packs is either food or clothes that we can donate to veteran organizations at the end of the Ruck March. So it's a super fun event. You show up at 8 a.m. for registration. We've already got live music there. We've got hot chocolate, coffee, unless you're in a warm environment. Not sure. It'll be a little chilly, I think, that time of year in San Diego, <laughs> L.A. Chilly enough for them to have coffee. Um, and then we step off at 10 a.m. after a little presentation. We should have some some uh, local TV or, or radio personalities. And then when you finish, you know, well, along the, along the routes, we have more live music. We've got dog stations. If you bring your pets, they have water and treats for them. And then when you finish, there's you know, music, there's beer, there's food. Hang out, have a party, and, and celebrate what you, what you just did for veterans in your community. And you said that's in San Diego coming up. Yes. So, yes. I think February 9th or 10th will be in San Diego. And then towards the end of the month or later in the month, I think the 16th, the next weekend we'll be in L.A. The San Diego, we're going to be on Fiesta Island right on the ocean. Yes. Yeah. And L.A., we're going to be hiking. That's going to be our, our most challenging event to date. We're hiking, I think it's about 900-foot incline to Mount Hollywood where you get a view of the Hollywood yeah. sign in L.A. and observatories. I'm pretty excited for it. Nice. Patty, I think we got to go to San Diego in, in February. Don't we have something planned in February? Yeah, you know, I, I and my so. daughter lives out there, so yeah. I can ha- have her show up, too. 
There you go. I, I love it. Um, I, I love it. Folks, you can come you, to Duluth in March if you'd like. Okay. <laughs> Average high 20s. Snow on the ground still. Yeah. I think the last right. time I was in Duluth was uh, I was on a snowmobile. I took a snowmobile, took the trails from Menominee, Wisconsin, and we took like a three-day ride up to Duluth and, and back. Yeah, no, I cool. That'd be, a, that'd be a good ride. It's cold. It's cold up there. <laughs> yeah, I do not miss the cold. <laughs> oh. Folks, and they're they're hard chargers in Duluth. We oh, we've yeah. got a particular group of vets that do it in nothing but PT shorts every year. We've did it, done it twice in February, once in March. <laughs> it's. I, I don't recommend that. And we actually, depending on temperatures, I recommend people to keep their, their jackets on until they get to you know the first warming station or something to take it off. But yeah, you know, there's there's some folks that take it to heart, and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I love it. I love it. folks. If you're listening to the show, open up another browser. Go to twenty three twenty third excuse me twenty third veteran dot org twenty third veteran dot o r g and get involved uh donate if you can or uh find out if you know if you want to go to san diego in february do these fundraisers or get in just get involved uh more importantly um mike i think what you're doing is absolutely amazing and this 14 work with this 14 week program is is uh something i'd definitely like to check out and 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 find out you know some form or fashion how we can get involved and, and i'm sure we can talk more about that offline but i think what you're doing is, is, is really really cool and, and my hat's off to you um we're, we're getting close to time here so be, i want to make sure i ask this question i ask it to all the guests that come on to the show um is you're on the show called the decision hour and and we, we all make decisions each and every day um, but what we'd like to ask you is name a time in your life where your feet were on the line and you had to make that decision. Uh, and it could be, could be anything, whether it was join the military, get out of the military, start the organization, what have you. But what was that decision that you made? And give us the atmosphere, what it was like during that time. Sure thing. So when I was working for the federal government and struggling with my with my PTSD, it was, this is right when I was pulling out of it and started to realize that I had it and that I had the ability to create something to bring to other veterans. I joined this program called Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans, EBV. Yep. And I was deathly afraid of public speaking. Yeah, I was so excited to get in this program and I did the online courses for a couple of months and then I'm about to go to Purdue University for it. And I had a call with the director and, and she mentioned having a presentation at the end. And the first thing that went through my mind is, no, not going to do it. I'll quit. <laughs> Next thing that went through my mind was, can I hire someone to do it for me? And I asked her. <laughs> and she, she giggled and she's like, well, it is an entrepreneurship program. That kind of makes sense. Uh, but she didn't give me the yes. Uh, uh, so what I did at that point was joined a couple Toastmasters groups oh, yeah. and just got up in front of people. I had two weeks, so I joined two of them. I got up four times and just talked about anything. And it was, it was very scary for me, you know, body shaking, heart racing, sweating. And I couldn't finish my sentences even. I mean, I was very afraid of public speaking. So I went through the program when I got to Indianapolis uh, well, I went to Indianapolis. That's where the welcoming ceremony was just before Purdue. Uh, I've got my my closest friend that I lost in combat is buried there. So I went a little early to 
see him at his grave. And I told him about the program and that I was scared to go through it. And I felt guilty for going through it because there's so many people that could use such an awesome opportunity, so many veterans that could do it. And I'm taking a spot from them. Plus I'm doing this thing that him, my buddy Lance and nobody else that, that had died in combat is going to have the opportunity to do. Uh, so I said I was going to try a little harder for him. And I did that throughout the program. Like it was 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. I'm, I'm working out over the lunch hour. I'm doing my business plan after 10 p.m. Other people are going out and partying at the bars and stuff. And when I'd get tired during class and I'd start to doze off or daydream, I'd just remember what I told Lance. And I'd snap back to it. And I'd pay more attention for him when, when I wasn't able to. So I ended up doing very well in the program. I won both presentations that they had. They gave me a couple monetary awards for it. And they created another, a, a new award called the Purdue EBV Student of the Year Award, just because they wanted to, to give me some more recognition for doing really well. Nice. But the whole uh, purpose of the story is at the end of the 10 days there, we did like a little dog and pony show for Veterans Day out on the football field. It was Purdue versus Iowa football game. I'm walking across the football field going over to the sidelines past the color guard Rain was standing there commanding it and I'm Semper Fi as we always do he returned to Semper Fi I'm standing on the sideline just looking back at this Marine feeling like yeah I don't have much time but I gotta go say hi to this guy I don't know why run back across the field introduce myself he introduces himself asked me where and when I served and I told him his face turns white he pulls back to sleeve on his dress blues he's wearing a bracelet that said killed in action Lance Thompson, November of 04. This Marine went on the buddy program with the best friend that I had that died in combat that I just told I was doing this program for in Indianapolis. So here I thought I was doing it with him or for him. Now walking across the football field, it's, well, he was there doing it with me. That is so incredible. Everybody's crying now. That's just so powerful. And Adam and I were just talking on another show yesterday about we have these intentions. We think we're going to be helping people. And more often than not, they end up helping us. Sure. So when it gets back to answering your question with uh, the decision hour, I anytime I face this decision where I feel like I'm deciding between what's what's easy or if I'm deciding between what's scary and what's right. And it's, it's tough for me to give anymore. Sometimes it happens. Like I, I feel like I'm spent and I've, I've tried so hard. And, you know, when I, I do a lot of public speaking now, you know, when I can no longer give for me, I just remember you know, what I told Lance and I give a little more for him. And that way the good that he would have put in this world is still here. Uh, powerful yeah my mike thank you so much for taking time and uh amazing story thank you for sharing that with us your decision now i really appreciate that uh as well any, you're welcome any any parting words for our listeners before we let you go today oh, appreciate your time listening this is this is a passion of mine i I wish 15 years ago I had somebody 
tell me the caveman story and that, you know, your brain should change in a life and death situation and, and it could be a good thing. And I wish somebody would have told me that I can change it back when I chose to. So anytime I can spread that word, I, I might have an opportunity to, to speak to the Marines on Camp Pendleton in a couple of weeks here. And, and that's the dream of mine that will be fulfilled. Nice. Very nice. Well, you always got an open mic, uh, with us, Mike. So, you know, let us know what we can do uh, for you in the future as well. Absolutely. Patty. Thank you, you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Patty, you got anything? Just thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. And thank you for um, listening to your heart and creating this amazing program for our, our military veterans. Thank you. Awesome. Folks, that's all the time we have. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, we want to make sure that you check out our, our parent network, Heroes Media Group. If you want to uh, become part of the family or check out all the great shows and some of the sponsors that we have coming on board with us, go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. Again, I want to thank our guest for today, Mike Waldron, uh, Executive Director at 23rd Veteran. Go to 23rdveteran.org. Check it out. Get involved, folks. Until next time, for Patty, I'm Adam. You've been listening to... The Decision Hour.